What's happening financial coaches? It's Pete here. I want to talk to you today about the problems that I've seen with financial wellness assessments. Now, this is not to say that you shouldn't use financial wellness assessments, and I am going to end this by explaining what I generally use for financial wellness assessments and how I use them. But basically, I think there is a lot of priority, a lot of emphasis put on financial wellness assessments. One, so that we can know what we need to talk to people about. But two, people like to see progress over time, particularly employers. You know, when I've worked with employers that want financial wellness for their employees, they want to see that after they've implemented the program, after they've hired me, whatever it might be, that their employees are getting healthier. And this is one of those situations where it can be very tricky because of the problems with financial wellness assessments. So let me go into these here. And you may have seen these, you know, sometimes they're 10 questions, 15 questions, three questions, whatever it might be. And they ask a variety of questions. And I've seen some good financial wellness assessments. I've seen some very good ones. I've seen some very poor ones. I've seen some ones that have gotten high accolades and yet tell you absolutely nothing about the health or the financial health of a particular person. So let's talk about the first one here. Number one, wellness is often not measured by finances it's typically feelings. Let me explain this. So first of all, if I were to give a financial wellness assessment and a lot of temptation is um, put on people developing them to ask all sorts of probing questions, ask all about the different dimensions of your financial life. And one of the problems is, is that if we could just put in numbers in our lives, um, that would be very easy. And we could tell someone whether they're healthy or not. The problem with this is you know, if we put in something, you know, and I would say maybe your net worth calculator would be maybe one of the better ones that's completely objective. The problem with that is you can have um, a really good net worth, but you can be leveraged and in trouble or have a high cost of living or something like that. You might have no net worth or negative net worth, but you might have a really high income. And so you might be on a really good track. You might have high income and negative net worth and be on a very bad track, you know, making a lot of bad decisions, spending more money than you're bringing in. So a lot of these things, while we might look at them and say in absolute terms, hey, this is good, or you have a million dollar net worth, or you have hundreds of thousands of dollars of recurring income, you know, none of those necessarily tell us anything by themselves, right? The one time um, that I really recall this is I was actually taking a financial wellness assessment and one of the questions was about student loans and the question was, do you have any student loans? Yes or no? And I put no. And it said, great, continue. And one of the things is that you got these positive points for having good financial health because you didn't have any student loans. What that doesn't tell me is, well, why don't I have any student loans? Because I didn't go to college? Because I put all my um, school and education costs on a credit card, you know, because I'm indebted to a loan shark. I mean, it doesn't really tell me anything. Uh, do I have any student loans? No, maybe, but maybe uh, my child or my children have massive student loans that I'm helping out on. So, you know, asking that kind of question and saying, yes, you have them or no, you don't, doesn't really tell me anything. Yes, you could say generally, you specifically don't have a student loan, that could be good. Maybe I'm 75 years old, you know, uh, uh, having a student loan wasn't something I ever did and wouldn't have it. And again, it doesn't have any bearing on what I need to do with my life right now. So things like that, questions like that may seem very helpful. Even things like, do you have credit card debt? You know, and one of the example I heard was, 
if you pull two students coming out of college and say, do you have credit card debt? And one says, no, I don't have any. One says, I have $5,000. Your instinct might say the person with $5,000 of credit card debt is worse off. But if the person with the student loans has $300,000 of student loans and the person with the credit card debt doesn't have any student loans, you know, who is better off, right? You could still say, well, I credit card is charging 20% interest rate but I certainly would rather have a $5,000 loan at 20% than a $300,000 loan at 7% right so you know no particular question unless you're going to ask every program question I don't know that you can answer something or have a financial wellness survey that is completely comprehensive um, there just is really very very hard to objectively determine if someone is well or not now that being said most of wellness to me comes down to the category of feelings right how do you feel about your finances you can have someone that's very rich and they don't feel good about their finances and yet have more money than they can spend in a lifetime you might have people who are not very well off but they're putting food on the table they're getting by their their kids aren't seeing um, them stressed out about money and they could feel very good and yet not necessarily be in a very strong financial position but those feelings to me um, help me kind of as a coach because if someone doesn't feel good about it even if they are in a good position well that usually means that they're motivated to do something i don't feel good about my finances i don't feel good about my financial future i don't feel uh good about retiring or being able to put my kids through college all right well that's a good place that's actually a healthier place for me as a financial coach to start with you so that we can work on things if you tell me that your feelings say hey i feel good and i'm saying hey you know you got a lot of debt you're not paying it off you don't have much income you're um, not very diversified on your income you run a bunch of risk here but you don't feel bad it might be very hard for me to help find motivation for you or to motivate you to do something about your situation so in many in many ways the feelings are more important than the actual finances all right number two more isn't necessarily better in financial wellness assessments and um it's not necessarily more accurate so let me explain this i i've seen some financial wellness assessments and i would say that generally most of the ones that i like are about 10 to 12 questions you know typically no longer but i have seen some that are 50 or 100 questions long and i wouldn't say that i have seen anything that indicates that they get at the heart of the issue any better than a 10 or 12 question survey or assessment right because the problem is is that there are only so many big categories and if i just ask you you know how do you feel about your financial well-being and you might say pretty average five you know i know other could be things i could be doing better i don't feel like i'm the worst one out there i'm kind of getting by but yeah i've got areas to improve on well then that's probably a pretty good place to start right now the more dimensions i have on individual things you know how do you feel about protecting your family and how about your cash flow and your savings rate and you know building your net worth and all these other things right i could talk about all these any of these things if i have a rating on each of them that could even help me more you know hey you feel good about these five things but here are two things that you don't feel very strong about let's dive into those right it certainly could be helpful but more doesn't necessarily give me a better picture you know unless i'm going to ask about everything and is it accurate again when we talk about feelings and you say hey i feel good about my insurance because i have fifty thousand dollars of insurance to cover my wife and my six kids um and their future schooling and you know paying off the mortgage and everything else you might say well that's not really enough but you don't but you feel like you're okay there so it's not again it's the accuracy here is 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 troubling uh, or as a problem and adding 30 or 40 more questions to dive deeper into all these things doesn't necessarily give you a more accurate picture you could say you know how much insurance do you have 50 to 100,000 100 to 200,000 you know all these things again um getting 
uh, more granular on the finances doesn't necessarily help, right? It's kind of like number one. It's not just necessarily the numbers. It's it's the feelings around it, all right? So I know that people will continue, you know, maybe they'll start with a three-question assessment. They'll get it to 10, and they feel, the temptation here is to feel like if they keep adding questions, it's going to be more accurate. And that's not necessarily the case. In many cases, it doesn't add anything. It just makes you doing the assessment harder and longer and it makes people less likely to complete them in the future so uh, that's one reason i like this short assessments as short as possible as long as necessary all right number three on the assessment um, i think that the consistency of the questions are more important than increasing precision and what i mean by this is that let's say you start and you use a 10 question financial assessment for your financial coaching but then you find this other one and it's it's so much better it's only 12 questions but you feel like it gets so much more detail and it gets more accurate and instead of telling me it's an 8 out of 10 it tells me it's an 83 out of 100 on someone right so you're increasing precision the problem with this and the problem with either changing the assessment you have or switching to a new assessment is it becomes much harder to track progress for people along the way because what i don't want to use is an assessment that might have generated an 80 out of 100 and then a new assessment that might track or or result in an 83 out of 100 because i can't start connecting the dots between the years or whatever timetables i'm using because it might say listen you went from 80 to an 83 but we had two different assessments it's not apples and apples and so what i like or I prefer is you sticking with the assessment. Now I know this can be tempting to change because you find something that's better. You find CFPB, CFPB has done some research and they say, hey, our new assessment is is 10% better than our old one. And it can be, it can be um, tempting to wanna go and grab that assessment and use that going forward. And if you do, that's fine. But just understand that if you are trying to track for people historically what they've done, how much they've accomplished, if they've improved over time, then switching assessments kind of nullifies that, right? You have to you have to use the assessments and you can't go back and say, hey, can you answer this the way you would have a year or two ago, right? Those types of things. So to me, the consistency, having three, four, five, ten years of people answering questions in the same assessment, right? Or the same person as you've coached them over five, six years, you know, answering the same questions assessment, even if it's not perfect, is better to me because it can show a progress using the same measuring stick as opposed to switching up the assessments, moving them around. All right. So number four, financial changes don't typically register quickly. Sometimes they can, but in most cases, in most of the um, client experiences that I have with people is that we can change their financial mentality. We can change their behaviors. But if we were really measuring it objectively on their finances, we wouldn't necessarily see this. So my example here is my most common topic is debt. You know, how do I pay off debt quicker? How do I get rid of debt? How do I live debt free? Whatever it might be, right? People come in because they are motivated about getting rid of debt. And so one of the things that can happen, and I kind of showed you this on the emotional uh, cycles of an emotional roller coaster of financial well-being is that people usually come to me because they don't know where else to go to, right? They've kind of done everything that they can on DIY. They feel overwhelmed. They don't know what else to try. And they say, hey, I'm going to take a flyer and work with a financial coach. And they feel pretty dejected at this point, right? And they come in and they say, hey, listen, I've got, and true example, um, met with a couple, couple kids. Um, they had done some um, work on their house and they had loaded up on their credit cards and they eventually ran out of credit and the construction of their house stopped. So they had this 
um, really unlivable house that they were living in that had mostly plastic sheeting to the outside. And they had $170,000 of credit card debt, charging 29.99% interest. And they were paying, um, I can't remember, a couple thousand dollars of interest a month. And that was just the interest payment. And they couldn't afford to do that. And they had actually borrowed from some family members an additional $70,000. So they had a total of $240,000 and they just felt dejected, uh, powerless, rudderless, hopeless, and all that, right? And so I worked with them, and over the course of about three sessions, you know, we had about four or five hours into this, they were actually kind of changing their life. They were um, eliminating things that they didn't need. We were thinking about the income side of things, uh, thinking about how to get rid of some of their other debt obligations, car payments, et cetera, et cetera. And what I would say is that um, at the end of those sessions, they felt hopeful. And from when I took the original financial assessment, which was only a week or so before, to when we were there, their um, their personal assessment went from a one to a three. Now, not a huge jump, but one of the things that did register here was a pretty quick change because it was the mindset change. But if we had looked objectively at their numbers, we wouldn't have seen any changes. We wouldn't have seen their $240,000 in debt go to 239. It just hadn't happened yet. Most of this was just strategy. So, um, so if you're looking objectively, if you're looking at the numbers, we're not going to see big changes. And even as I kind of met with them occasionally and got um, updates over the next few years from them, again, there weren't huge wholesale changes, but they were making progress. And so if you want to see someone and you say, hey, how did we get rid of $240,000 of debt in six months or one year? That would be an amazing story, but that's just typically not how it happens. In fact, sometimes we we cast out the debt, right? We um, recast it, stretch it out to make it affordable. And so sometimes it can linger on for a very, very long time. And so if we're looking at just the numbers, it doesn't look very promising. It doesn't look very good. But if you're looking at the subjective side of it, the emotional side of it, their feelings of it, they may see a big change. That's why it's important, I think. And that's why I think sometimes the health side of it, the wellness side, the cycle is more of a psychological aspect than a financial one, right? So financial changes don't register quickly. And what I'm saying here, the other side of it is the temptation, say, as an employer to say, hey, you've been working with my employees. How are they doing? You know, um, combined, they had a million dollars in credit card debt. How have we done on this? And you might say, well, they still have a million dollars in credit card debt. And they just say, listen, you've been working with them for months now. You know, um, if we're not going to see any progress, then why am I hiring you? Why are we using you? And the issue here is that financial changes don't typically register quickly. Financial mentality can change quickly, but it may take months, years to see any measurable change in that debt. Um, in one case, we were working with an employer and they were monitoring the 401k loans, the amount of loans that people have taken out of or borrowed against their retirement savings. And we've been working with them and they say, we don't see that those loan amounts coming down a lot. And there are some reasons for that. There are some you know, reasons that they can't pay back it any faster. You know, there's only a certain amount of paycheck that they can deduct it from, right? So you can't just measure it on that because um, a lot of times you won't see those things move very quickly. And in fact, some of the data I've seen, you won't even really see statistically significant changes for about three years because it takes a while, one, to make the changes in your life, right? If you're going to change the income side, the expense side, it's going to take a while for all that to kind of uh, bubble through to actual cash flow changes and then you can redirect that cash flow. So uh, you really got to give it about three years before you want to start really measuring those financial changes for most cases, right? 
Number five, your coaching might move assessments up or down very quickly. And, you know, to go back to the point that I was talking about, in one week we had moved someone from a one to a three because of the coaching, but there wasn't anything that we could show right there. On the flip side, because you work with someone, and you assess them again, you might find that their assessment numbers, the financial wellness numbers go down. And here's a here's a real example in my own household. One of the things that um, a few years ago I talked to my wife about was that, hey, you know, things are going pretty well. And we had, you know, we were four years into a mortgage. And I said, you know, why don't we think about paying down the mortgage a little quicker? Or, you know, as quickly as possible. You know, this might, this is our last debt. Maybe this would be something that is worth putting some extra effort and getting rid of, right? And I would say that the conventional wisdom here is people would like to do that, but most people try to get the longest mortgage they can, the biggest house they can, the highest payment they can afford. And so it was really counterintuitive because a lot of our friends were recasting their mortgages, refinancing. In fact, at the time we were thinking about doing this, one, uh, you know, a couple of our friends said, hey, you know, you should refinance. The interest rates are really low. In fact, I saved $130 a month by refinancing my mortgage. So just stretching out that mortgage again back to 30 years. You know, they had 25 years left on the mortgage and went back to 30 years. Well, the problem with this and say taking on something ambitious like this is we threw money towards it as we were paying it down, as we were kind of moving through that amortization schedule, getting ahead. When we reassessed ourselves, you know, financially, um, we noticed that our personal satisfaction had gone down. So while I would have said that we would have maybe measured ourselves at maybe an eight out of 10 in terms of financial wellness, you know, as we were going through this, as we were paying in the 20 year range of our mortgage schedule, we found that we were at more of a five or a six. And the reason wasn't because we were financially less well off. In fact, we had significantly less debt than we did when we had started. But because the goalposts generally had moved, because now our goal was to be mortgage free, you know, when you start measuring yourself against what you can, you say, hey, we're not there. And I wish it were going faster. I mean, I remember these conversations that, you know, as we were getting toward to the one year um, time horizon of paying off our mortgage, mortgage, you know, 25 years ahead of schedule, those types of things, you know, it was, you know, there was a lot of desire to be, how can we get there? I want to be able to pay it off. I wish it were just paid off. Where can we get the, uh, the, the remaining amount of the mortgage? Let's just pay it off as quickly as possible. And so sometimes taking on more ambitious goals like this can actually move your financial wellness down. Now, it's not a problem if I was coaching you and I say, hey, you want to pay off your house early? Let's talk about some strategies to do it. What can we do? You know, here are some ideas. Here are some other ways that people have done it. Do any of these fit for you? As you take that on, you might say, um, you might start measuring yourself to that progress as to, uh, towards paying off your house in five years instead of 25 years. And it might feel like you aren't making as much progress as you want. I tell you what, if someone wanted to pay off their mortgage in five years, but it took them seven, they might say, hey, I'm disappointed. It took longer. We had some income interruptions there. We couldn't do it, but you're still doing it faster than you would have. And so are you better off? Yeah, you are, but your assessment might not say that. Your uh, personal reflection on it might say, hey, it didn't go as planned, even though most 99% of outsiders, right? Most other people, most of your neighbors would say, what? You paid off your mortgage or you're paying more towards your mortgage or you're shortening your mortgage? Um, that seems so so um, uh, contrary to what we're told to do, right? So you may move coaching, you know, through coaching assessments of your clients up or down pretty quickly. And one of the things is 
again, you've got to keep that in mind is that just because you see an assessment go down doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't doing the right things, right? And so this is the temptation is that when you see that, you might be wary of doing these types of things, um, you know, setting goals too aggressively, setting expectations too high, whatever it might be. But I think, you know, you got to remember, we want to do the right thing for the client and not necessarily be driven by a score, which again, can be seriously flawed in many ways, all right? So what do I use and why? Um, I use a couple of things. Generally, for most people, I will use at the beginning, just in a conversation, how do you feel? Oh, on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel about your financial situation? You know, just kind of the whole thing. Just, you know, where do you feel like you stand? You know, and I hear a lot of people say five, six. I hear some people say eight. I hear some people say one or zero. And that doesn't surprise me sometimes. But what I will say is that um, when I use that, it's just for me to put on my notes. Hey, they feel like they're at a five. All right. And then I'll ask them a year from now, or it depends on how long my coaching engagements are going. But just to kind of see, are we moving the needle? Are we getting them more hopeful? Are we getting them more motivated? Right. Because that's what I'm using that for. Now, on the other hand, the longer questionnaire, you know, the, is the from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I think they have a fine assessment. I know they are going through some revisions of this. They're trying to make it tighter, more accurate. But generally what I like about them is they're using general feeling questions. And one of the things that I like is that they're kind of asking them about their feelings in different aspects of their financial life. So I think it gets a pretty good picture. Whereas some of the other financial assessments I've seen ask about your credit card debt, your student loans, the balances of your 401ks and retirement accounts and all these other things. And I really think diving into those categories specifically is sometimes counterproductive, right? So Personally, I like the CFPBs. I'm not necessarily in love with it, but I think it's a good, easy to do assessment. They give you um, a, uh, a cheat sheet on how to read the scale. It's one of those things where if you have used the old one, it's kind of open source. Um, you can give it to people on an ongoing basis. You can use it for free. I think there's an online uh, tool that they use. Um, but there's also a paper-based one, I think. You can get the answers and then load them into their calculator and they weight the answers in certain ways. And to me, it's just one of those things where it's good, down and dirty, and decently accurate, and it kind of skews towards the feelings as opposed to being too objective, in my opinion. And it's free. So that's the other big thing I like about it. So if you want to go into you know, a qualitative assessment, you know, something that feels more like a task for coaching clients. CFPB is one of my favorites and it's free. But if you just want to ask people how they feel, you know, what does their gut tell them in terms of on a scale of one to 10 or, you know, however you do it, right? Do you feel good, indifferent or great or bad or um, really hopeless about your financial situation? You can use those too and just see if people are moving. Is the needle moving for them? But that's what I use generally because of the myriad of weaknesses that financial assessments have, even the good ones. So there's no perfect one out there, but I just kind of wanted to run through five of the issues that I have with most financial wellness assessments so that you don't put too much weight on them and use them appropriately. And hopefully it helps your coaching practice. I'll talk to you later.